please be seated. At this time, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 17. We're still on a Heinz variety mode of different sermons, especially in light of uh, the recent departure of our brother. It seems appropriate to do this. And so this uh, has been heavy on my heart, this matter of, of our service as well in light of eternity. So hear God's word, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 17. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, enlighten us, we pray, by your marvelous and uh, instructive Holy Spirit, that we may, Lord, learn these things that are from above, where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, even yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you building for eternity is the question that I pose for you this morning. This particular passage particularly speaks to ministers and to those who would teach the word of God, whom God has called upon to help God's people to build their spiritual lives, i.e. the spiritual houses. If we would use the motif of Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord speaks of two classes of people, those who are wise and those who are foolish, and likens their lives and their testimonies to houses that they would build upon one or another foundation. And ultimately, this speaks comprehensively to the house of God or the church. And so it may certainly apply to all believers in their service to Christ. How are you building for eternity? Is it built on Jesus Christ? There's that verse there, verse 11, 
that hits the nail right on the head. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. End of discussion. Now there's more to be said about that. There's a whole book that informs us of what that's all about. But nevertheless, very basic to the faith. Very basic to salvation. There is a basic assumption or presupposition that the foundation is the Word of God. As Paul said elsewhere in Ephesians 2.20, and this is another, can I call it foundational verse, because it speaks of this very issue of what is bottom, what is beneath the house. And are built, that is the church is built, the saints are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now you might ask, well, how does that work? Or how is that done? What is the chief cornerstone? The chief cornerstone, and there are often four, typically four, you know, the corner of the houses, that's the cornerstone. Usually there's a stone there or brick. And then, of course, the walls go extend from, from, from it, right? The first stone laid, which anymore today is more of a ceremonial stone, is set at the corner of a building that joins two extending walls. That's the cornerstone, and Jesus Christ is it. And so, wherever the plans are that you are to lay the house and, 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 and the direction of the house and, and so forth, is determined by that stone. So, when you set that first cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, then the rest go from there. R.C. Sproul put it this way, he said, today, Laying the cornerstone of a building is often a symbolic act. And this cornerstone may play only a small role in the overall structure. This is not true in the first century, however. The cornerstone was always the first stone laid during construction. And every other stone in the building was measured by the standard of the cornerstone to ensure a proper fit. In calling Jesus the cornerstone, Paul explains that those who want to form the stones in the household of God, because we are, according to Peter, made up of living stones. And, and those are God's people. Not the building. It's never been the building, by the way, even though the church has gone awry in this regard. And, and, and putting more importance upon the structure than upon the saints of God that occupy that structure. Paul explains that those who want to form the stones in the household of God must be conformed to the image of Christ. Hence, Jesus is the foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And the prophets and the apostles, as is mentioned in that Ephesians verse, are the other stones maybe even cornerstones in the case of some more outstanding prophet like Moses, the Apostle Paul, add to and, and are founded upon that chief cornerstone. 
that provide us with the entire word of God, which is our foundation. And those who follow must build the church and build their lives upon this foundation if they are to be saved. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, What? To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He said elsewhere, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 In other words, that's all he wanted to know, as it were. If he had only so much time and only one opportunity to visit your church, our church, that's what he will look for. And if he doesn't find it, on he went. But if he found it, he would rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because that is what it's all about. That is what the church should be all about. Is it made of the highest spiritual material or quality? Verse 12. Now if any man, this is back at our passage, sorry. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, I'm leaving you hanging there, I realize that, but, but this is to focus upon the building material, if it is of the highest quality or not. Is the building material which you actually use to build your Christian life with? Or God's people to use to build the church with? Like the foundation itself. Is it of the same material? Is it from the same source? You know how you buy materials and they come from different places and the quality may differ accordingly? Well, this one has to come from one source. Does it come from there? Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that is teaching, for reproof, that is exposing, for correction, that is for correcting, for instruction in righteousness. That's like having a manual on how to live the Christian life. That's what the Bible is. Do you treat it as such? Do you look to the word of God as Bible? basic instruction before leaving earth or not or maybe you don't read your bible maybe you don't realize this the, the solemnity of the responsibility that has been given to you when you became a follower of christ but maybe through the word of god that you are hearing this morning and that you will hear as you seek that out in your life hereafter you will begin to see the imperativeness of the responsibility. That the man of God may be perfect. Now, does that mean like Jesus? Oh, far from it. But does that mean that we don't strive to be like Jesus? That's what this is about. Yes. 
It's perfect in the sense of whole, in the sense of complete, in the sense of comprehensive, and that you are engaged with the Lord. You are impassioned with his Holy Spirit. You're on fire for Jesus Christ. Thoroughly furnished to all good works. There are those who may know the truth. They may know the truth. They may be, as we would say in our, in our parlance, in our community, which we call the Reformed community, Reformed, Calvinistic, and especially Reformed, because Reformed goes beyond the five points. Reformed goes into how we apply the truth of the gospel and, and all the ramifications, all of the teachings that, that, that flow from that to the Christian life, to the family, and especially to the worship of our triune God. So there are those who may know the truth, but water it down, or fluff it up, or candy coat it, and sell it. You know, that's one thing that I appreciate from uh, this ministry uh, uh, called Chapel Library. Everything's free. <laughs> you don't have to pay a cent. Now, I can afford to pay for some literature, but the average believer might have a difficult time with that, especially in the missionary world at large. Um, most countries, most third world progressive countries progressing from poverty can't. And, and that's why that is such a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And, and let me tell you, it's solid stuff. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm giving a perk to that. I know we have a brother here that was there for a time, and I've been involved with that ministry for decades, uh, utilizing it like here and in our outreach and in the Philippines, where I've been most of my time spending outside of San Diego. There are those who may know the truth, but water it down when it comes to the teaching of it, the delivery of it. So how do you know? How do you know that that's happening, Pastor? Because the Bible says, for, for example, and this is, this is a, a, a real temptation for, for any minister, for any Bible teacher, for any witness. And that is in Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25. And what's that? The fear of man. The fear of man. In whatever form or shape that takes, like being afraid that people might react against you for telling them the gospel or giving the gospel. And so the natural tendency is what? Not to give it. Or perhaps not to give it right away. And so years go by and you haven't even talk to your neighbor. And I'm not speaking to you as someone who's arrived, by the way. Far from it. Far from it. I have neighbors that I've yet to give the gospel to. And I give them bits and pieces, or I tell them I'm a Christian, I invite them to church, and that's all good. But actually sitting down with them one-on-one -on -one and explaining as simply as possible Christ and Him crucified. 
that's my now my burning <laughs> desire at this uh, tail end of life is that I, I, I do that. I don't lead this life without having tried to having tried to give the gospel to everyone that the Lord brings across my path. I remember my godfather. I was a Roman Catholic before, and I had a godfather that I never knew until I grew up. I, he was my godfather at baptism. Until I moved to San Diego and he happened to live here, he retired here. And I, was a new, I became a new Christian right about the time I first met him. But shortly after that, he, he passed away. And I was already a believer. And I, I was just so overwhelmed with, with, with guilt and with condemnation. And I, I know that that's another issue. But nevertheless, I was convicted. I'll just say that. I, I was convicted that I didn't give him the gospel. I spent uh, some good time with him getting reacquainted and with his wife. But I never gave him the gospel. And he died. And I don't know. He might be in heaven. Maybe someone else gave him the gospel. Maybe someone else witnessed to him. But anyway, that's my passion anymore. And not to waste any more time. Because <laughs> my days are numbered. And so are yours. Another uh, motivating cause for watering down the gospel is that we want to be on people's good side and, and want them to think well of us. And so Ezekiel 33, 32 is a very common place, I believe, in many a church. I'm not pointing at persons or, or churches Ezekiel 33:32 Ezekiel 33:32 And lo thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. The context there is of a false prophet who is giving a song and dance in the place of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we say he was an entertainer rather than a true minister? I don't know, and I'm not one to judge. We'll leave that to God. Or perhaps just because we don't really believe in the gospel. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he also said, I am ready to preach the gospel to all of you who are at Rome. Is that our attitude about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Remember, anything else is shoddy, shoddy material and shoddy workmanship. Shoddy materials for the church is to have false doctrine, finally, because there's only two. 
I mean, there's only one, and that's the truth. And the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. And anything else, according to Paul, falls into the category of another gospel. And I realize that there are many things taught in the Word of God. I realize that there are things that are of, of essential importance and those that are, can I say, non-essential as to our salvation. So I realize that. But nevertheless, that that must be said. That the truth, I'll just put it this way, the truth of salvation is non-negotiable. Satan would have it otherwise, but not Christ. He says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, let me give you uh, a, a, another angle on this. Because again, shoddy materials makes for, sh uh, I should say, shoddy Doctrine, shoddy teaching, makes for God's anger and wrath to be upon you and me. Uh, in Matthew 15, 3, here's an example of another law. Another law. Because we are to preach the law, believe it or not. Even though we're not saved by the law, the law is a rule as the whole world, word of God is for faith and practice. So the law is important, and the law is the schoolmaster that points us to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law for his people, for sinners, and thus it is essential to preach the law of God. But here in Matthew 15, 3 through 9, is an example of another law. But he answered, that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou might, mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. This is what they were teaching in the place of the law of God. This was in, in their tradition. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. One of the sad things about the visible church at large today anymore, and, I, and I've been an observer of it, uh, a watch, you know how they have these watch uh, groups, you know, that watch out for things that are wrong in the government and things that are wrong in, in the medical uh, 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 field and uh, even in the church. Well, in watching at large the visible church, uh, we see that the law is not being preached, period. It's not being taught at all. It is being assumed 
but it's not actually being read, nor is it being preached and taught, such as what, and I'm not drawing attention to myself, but it just so happened we're still studying the Ten Commandments on Thursday evening. And I made a plea for you to attend that, you who are in our congregation, because it is very important. It is foundational to your faith. So anyway, guess what happens when you don't teach it? You don't know it. And guess what happens to the, to the church? It becomes a shoddy church. It becomes shoddy because it becomes immoral and unethical and unbiblical and unchristlike. And I'm just making a general observation, not a judgment, just calling it like it is. It'd be like a contractor that, uh, and by the way, I have a brother-in-law who's a contractor. <laughs> and he does the top of the line type of custom home building, okay? So he's looking at houses and he's gonna look at our house and give us a, give us a hand uh, uh, getting it uh, up to par, you know. <laughs> Oh my, <laughs> I fear what he's going to say when he sees our home. But anyway, uh, you know what? We would expect better. God expects better from his people. And he's not going to take no for an answer. He's not going to take but for an answer. He's not going to take any excuse for an answer if what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 4 has any sense or meaning at all to it whatsoever because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and I say 4.3 sorry 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid and that is laid which is Jesus Christ now we go to another gospel. We went from another law and now another gospel. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, there is a passage here that speaks to and contrasts the true gospel from the false. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation or your empty lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So he's contrasting a religious system that has that had, by the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus and the apostles that he called to interpret his work his redemptive work. By that time, there was a system in place that was just buried, dug in. It couldn't be, it couldn't be removed except by an explosion, except by utter destruction. It was that, that ingrained, entrenched of traditions and rituals and rites and everything else that man can do. Because you know, religion finally is man, as someone said, pulling himself up by his bootstraps to God. Redemption, Christianity, is God reaching down to man who cannot help himself, who cannot even lift a finger to bring himself to heaven without the work of Christ. 
So is he being preached? Is his blood being preached? The precious blood of Christ. And may I add one more thing. Is his imputed righteousness being preached? Because Paul talks about that extensively in Romans, the book of Romans. He is saying that, that Christ imparts to us righteousness. To use another passage. Um, for, for he was made unto us sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Meaning that there was an exchange of our sin, which of course went to Christ when he took our sin upon himself on the cross. And then his righteousness, his perfect obedience, his holy life, credited to us as if we are the one who did that, who lived that. And God looking upon us in Christ as being perfect and complete and whole and holy and acceptable. You see, that's the gospel. And so to teach and preach another gospel is equivalent to building with wood, hay, and stubble. And we need to be gone with it all. Because if we continue to build with shoddy materials and shoddy workmanship, guess what you have in the end? A shoddy house. And lastly, will it stand the test of eternity? And time, but moreover eternity. Because back in our passage, it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Imagine that. We'll be receiving a reward. And before you know I kind of poop-pawed award rewards. You know, I said, oh, Lord, I'm just glad to be in your, in your kingdom, and I'm glad to have the hope, the blessed hope, the sure hope of being in heaven. But rewards, it's like what is said about the saints in heaven, that the elders in heaven that will take their crowns, that they are given the crowns of righteousness, like what the Apostle Paul said, that he would receive and, and all those that love his appearing, and throw them down at his feet. But I'm just doing that before that time, you know, uh, in spirit anyway. And, and yet the Lord does give us rewards. Now, oh, Lord, why? <laughs> This is confusing, the, the, the situation. No, not, not really. Not really. Uh, he encourages us. He encourages us by these perks along the way, such as when souls come into the kingdom of God and when the Lord blesses one with uh, strength and with um, soundness of mind and with purpose to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, and, and then to bless that and to actually see those who are faithful, though they not, might not be very many, they may be only a remnant. And, and usually that's, that's what many of Christ's churches have been over the centuries, and especially early on when most of them were in, were in homes, not in the synagogue. They didn't have theaters back then. They didn't have large office buildings, okay? So, really and truly, the Lord rewards our works to encourage us. But he also says that if any man's work shall burn, be burned, he shall suffer loss. Well, I mean all that I have done, not done according to the will of God, will be burned. 
Yes. If it's not a good work, and you know how you define a good work, there's five criteria. Is it according to scripture? That's the first criteria, and we've already talked about that. If it is on a principle of faith, that's the second criteria. The third criteria, if it is done to the glory of God and not man. Fourth criteria, in the name of Jesus Christ. And last, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a good work. Whether we're talking about preaching, whether we're talking about worship, whether we're talking about prayer, whether we're talking about almsgiving, whether we're talking about witnessing, being a missionary, being an encourager of others. Yes, you can be an encourager of others and not glorify God. Maybe because you're doing it for another motive. And of course, the Lord knows. So, your works will either endure or they will be consumed in the day of judgment. But one major consolation, according to verse 15, but he himself shall be saved. It's so as by fire, because that fire is going to burn up all those things that are like dross, like when you purify gold. And I saw this process done in the Philippines on a remote island, how they, they took this gold that was just literally, you know, right there in the ground in the, in, in the caves, and they brought it out, and then they would have this process of smelting it, of taking out the gold from the ore. And so what you're left with is a faith that is tried by fire, that will not be consumed, that will land you in the kingdom of heaven. And so you won't end up in hell. But if you're one of those that has all these wood, hay, and stubble for works, guess what? They get all burned up, and you have nothing to show for your having been a Christian, and especially if you've been given a long life. Now, if you were like the thief on the cross and you didn't have a long life, that's a different story. But even there, he testified for Christ, didn't he? He stood up for the Savior when the other was poopying the gospel. And then he turned to the Lord and says, Remember me when you enter in your kingdom. And to that, the Lord responded, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. spiritual house that you and I must that you and I build must stand the test of eternity and the question is will it because if your heart's desire is to reciprocate and to return to the Lord in kind the love and the blessings that come with his salvation. And I believe that your desire is to glorify him and to serve him. But will you have those things to show him? Because it doesn't happen automatically. Let me read in closing 1 Timothy 2, 19 through 21. Let's turn to it. First, 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21. 
Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Is your heart's desire that you might be meet or prepared for the master's use. And again, to have a sacrifice that glorifies him of a testimony in the life that is lived out for Christ Jesus. As the writer of Hebrews would put it, by him let us therefore offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. But to do good and to communicate, which is a term that means to be an almsgiver, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Amen. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we are thankful for the clarity of your word, and yes, even the brevity of your word. As the author of Ecclesiastes concluded, and this is the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. To this end, Lord, we pray for your spirit, your Holy Spirit, and your grace to empower us to live such lives that are well-pleasing in your sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.